one of us is on a quest. Our quest is to live our lives in a way that we will one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Our challenge is to use what God has entrusted to us, our time, our talent, and our treasure to accomplish his purposes. How can you do that? By investing in church and ministry projects that change lives. By giving wisely and creating a family legacy of generosity. By being faithful, whether you have little or much. At Christian Financial Resources, we believe God owns everything. And our task as Christians is to manage everything for God. Let's face the challenge together. You'd think I'd know how to do that by now. <laughs> it's only been a couple days. Um, hey, church, I am so excited to have you join with us this morning to see all you here. See the students here represent. Woo! Yeah. Great to see the students in here. Hey, we've got a special treat today. My friend Darren Key is with us. He is the CEO of Christian Financial Resources, CFR. And if you picked up one of the books we mentioned last week, The Quest, you'll notice his name is the name at the bottom. He's the author of the book, and he is here with us today. I get to interview him. Now, he's a Kansas guy by... The real Wildcats, the Kansas State Wildcats. <laughs> now, you, you notice, I, if you were here last week, I took a dig on Kansas. Uh, <laughs> but hey, he got out of Kansas too. He lives in Florida now for That's right. several years. So uh, he's here with us today. But he did spend some time here in Louisville back in the day. You got your MBA here? Is yes, that I right? did. That's right. Yeah, you and know. back then, you know... You know, things have changed. Back in the 90s, there really wasn't a, a football team at UK. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, take the dig where you can. That's right, exactly. So, we're glad to have him with us today. OCC, would you show, Darren, your appreciation for being with us today? Well, Darren, I do love what you do. I love how you do it, man. Uh, you're a family guy, a father of four. Uh, we've got kids similar ages. And, uh, man, you're leading an awesome ministry that's doing fantastic stuff uh, for the kingdom. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for giving us your time today. Well, we today. appreciate the partnership with you guys, too, seeing all the life changes taking yeah. place. So, Man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, earlier this year, you wrote the book, The Quest, and uh, it's this right here. And again, if you weren't with us last week, we have a free copy for every household. There's some still out in the lobby, so make sure you get your copy today on your way out if you didn't get one last week. But what inspired you to write that? What inspired you to name it The Quest? So I got old this last year. I, uh, my, my, at least that's what my kids tell me. I, I turned 50 years old, half a century. It's kind of crazy. And so I felt like I finally had something to say. So it was time to write it down. Uh, you know, at first I had to decide, do we need another Christian finance book? And as I thought about it, I felt like sometimes you can say things that have been said, but in a new and fresh way, and it might resonate with somebody. It was really neat after first service. I had a lot of people that came up and, and talked with me about things that, that did as they've read through it. But, you know, I get to speak uh, 40 weekends a year, tens of thousands of people in our churches across the country, and I kept hearing things over and over again. I was like, boy, I wish I could have counseled this person to not go down that decision that they did. Um, so... That's the reason I wrote the book. And the reason I call it The Quest is my mom, she was a second grade school teacher in Kansas, and she taught me this passion for stories. 
Her favorite story of all was The Wizard of Oz, fitting for someone in Kansas. Um, She loved the book. She loved the movie. I mean, she wrote her college paper on it. Anytime it came on TV, we had to watch it all as a family. Uh, When I was doing my book report as a middle school kid, I had to do it on that. And she helped me build this unbelievable Wizard of Oz. I think they still talk about it, Uh, this whole Emerald City. It was just amazing. And then, like, we had all the little trinkets in our house of Wizard of Oz stuff. So she, she really loved that. But she really ingrained into all uh, myself and my three sisters this whole idea of quest stories. And I have believed for a long time, and maybe that was how God connected it for me, that how we handle what God has entrusted to us is like a quest. And there are four aspects of a quest. Number one, you're going to go to places that you've never been. Number two, You're going to encounter challenges that you've never faced. Number three, you're going to discover abilities that you've never used or knew you had. And number four, you're going to find something at the end you never expected. Yeah. Now, I didn't ask you this last service, but just curious. Who's your favorite Wizard of Oz character? Mm, That's a great one. Well, (laughs) I kind of like the wizard actually a little bit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, last week, I, I threw you there, right? Because he gives You're that sure. wisdom at the end, and I yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. He gives Dorothy what she needs. Yeah. Well, last week, we kicked off this series, and I borrowed the illustration that you use at the beginning of the book of the yellow brick road and the Wizard of Oz being likened to God's word for us as the path to take. Uh, but that's worth exploring again. That's yeah. worth talking about again. So share it a little bit. From your perspective. Yeah, so hopefully you all know the story. Uh, But the yellow brick road is the way that Dorothy (laughs) is going to make it to the Emerald City and to meet the Wizard of Oz. And you know what? I think that God's word can kind of be like that yellow brick road as we journey through this life. You know, people are always amazed when I start teaching them about some of the truths of God's word that were written, if you think about this, thousands of years ago, and yet they're still relevant in 21st century America today. And as we want to kind of grow in our understanding of God's will for this life of traveling down the road, we think that that yellow brick road is like God's word. And so one of the mistaken notions that people often have in churches is that giving is sacred, but spending, saving, investing, borrowing, planning, all that is secular. Matter of fact, I will tell you, a lot of churches will never talk about money in any way other than giving. And so I applaud you guys here, Fitz, for being willing to talk about some other areas that God's word clearly teaches us about. In scripture, we're taught a lot about handling money. And we learn the dangers of debt, the importance of saving, the wisdom in investing in principles, teaching our kids about money, and leaving a legacy. But God's word also shares some hard truths about money. Jesus tells us that God, for his own reasons, gives different people different amounts, which is probably a good lesson for our culture to hear right now. We learn that our heart matters as it relates to finance. We learn that the love of money is the beginning of the roots of all kinds of evil. Yeah, so in uh, chapter two, you 
begin to focus on the debt dragon, as you call it, right? And then, you know, so the love of money kind of feeds into that debt thing, lack of contentment. Share with us your thoughts on debt. Yeah, so when I was growing up, one of my favorite stories was The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, and he was a strong Christian that was friends with another strong Christian apologist named C.S. Lewis, who wrote a lot of classic books. But in Tolkien's book, The Hobbit has to confront this dragon called Smog. And Smog, if you've seen the movie, he uses a bunch of slithery speech to try to persuade the Hobbit to do what he wants and to give him what he wants. Well, sometimes I think debt is like that slithery dragon in our culture. Um, It creates this discontent to persuade us to do things that we're gonna later regret. Now, I do need to say this. I don't think all debt is evil. And there are some Christian financial people that would say that. And the reason for that is I find in some passages, if you go back like in Deuteronomy, we see God telling Israel to be a lender to other countries. And so I think it's hard for us to see that that debt can be inherently evil if God's telling Israel, yeah, you may not be a borrower, but I do want you to go loan out to other countries. Um, Without question, being debt-free is a blessing, and Scripture teaches that. But there's so much in our culture attempting to drag us into debt. And so in the book, you're going to see that I've got this three-point test that I've created to compare what is bad debt versus what I call not good debt, but I call it okay debt. And I think there are three things that meet that test. It'd be great for you to think that through if you think you know what those three things are before you read the book and see if you can guess them correctly. But I do want to say those are just my opinion. They're not scripture uh, on that. But I also want to say this, because I know every time I speak in a church like this, there are people right now that the elephant in the room for you is that you're in a really bad situation related to debt. And I want you to know there's a great passage, 2, Corinthians, 2 Kings chapter 4, where a widow found herself in that situation. And what God did to help her through that was, was miraculous. And I want to remind everyone, we serve a God of hope. And God can get you through that. Yeah. So church, you got a little bit of homework there. 2 Kings chapter 4, read that this week. But Darren, I also want to point out something you said, because I really appreciate this. And this is... This is the additional wisdom beyond the book, right? You give us your perspective and you're humble enough to say, hey, this isn't exactly word for word in God's truth, but you arrived at your perspective through God's truth. You took biblical principle and the way the Spirit convicted you, the way the Spirit has led you to put it into practice, you arrived at this truth on debt. And so some people may differ with you on that, but... I love that you arrive at your conclusions based on scripture, based on biblical principle. Well, there's over 2,000 verses about it. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And not just, hey, this has worked for me or this is the whims of the culture or this is the way the winds are blowing today. Uh, But it's a biblical worldview. I appreciate that about you, man. Well, in chapter three, you shift from that debt dragon to talking about investing and savings. And that's not stuff we always hear about, but scripture does speak a lot about it. And you talk about it. Share with us your perspective on that. Yeah, so I grew up just south Kansas City, uh, home of the, the amazing Kansas City Chiefs. But also in Kansas City is um, <laughs> where the Oregon Trail starts. And so if you know the history, the pioneers would pack up everything they had that they own, they'd put it in a covered wagon. And if you were going to go on a long journey like that, I can tell you, I've done it in a car. I I haven't done it in a covered wagon, but you would have to plan very well. 
Imagine if you had to do that today. For me, I would have to have my golf clubs because I like to golf. For you, it's probably your woodworking or wood carving or whatever yeah. it is that you like to do, Fitz. Um, but you know, each weekend I travel around the country speaking about saving and investing a lot, and I'm trying to persuade businesses and families to plan well in the, with their wagon as it relates to saving and investing. The first step I'm always teaching everyone is they need to have an emergency savings. You know, in the book of Proverbs, we read the ant get praised for being such a good saver. In Proverbs chapter six, verses six through eight, we're told, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. And then in Genesis, we go back and we look at the story of Joseph and we see how he was told to save grain during the abundant times because there was going to be another time where famine was coming. The peace that you have with an emergency savings can take away so much stress in your life. Plus, having cash also can serve as an opportunity fund where you might be able to take advantage of an investment opportunity when the market tanks or an investment property or maybe there's a person that you love that has a big need and you can meet that need because you have this opportunity fund there too. But not just saving, the Bible also talks about investing. Like don't pursue get rich quick schemes. A lot of people are feeling that right now with decisions they've made recently of things that they've pursued. Instead, we're told in Proverbs, steady plotting brings prosperity. One of the wealthiest men to ever live, Solomon, he shares the wisdom of diversification of when investing, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I remember when I was doing this back in 2000, I was in our churches and I would have people come up when the tech stock bubble burst, they had all their money in tech stocks. They lost 75% of all they had. Plus we're told in scripture to be careful around greedy people. And we gotta be careful sometimes, especially with some financial advisors that charge really high fees or commissions. I've seen so many people take advantage of people in our churches and fleece them with things like that. Man, there is so much wisdom in what you just said. There's a whole series full of sermons in that right there. But as I was listening to you, one of the words that came to mind is patience. You know, and Paul writes to the church at Galatia, he tells them, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces in us, amongst other things, is patience. And, uh, you know, as he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, you know, one of the benchmarks of love is patience. And for some of you, patience comes naturally. I am not one of you. <laughs> patience is something I have to work on and I work at it all the time because I'm terrible at it. Just ask my family, ask my kids how patient I am when we're in the car. You know, get me in the in the line in the store, I'm not, I'm not a naturally patient person. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want God to give you patience and you ask him to give you patience, you know what he's going to do? He ain't just going to hand it to you because <laughs> that's just instant, right? He's going to give you situations where you have to learn patience. Be careful what you pray for. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's right. But finances is one of those things because it teaches us to trust in God, to rely upon him, to be in it for the long haul. If God just did everything right away, I mean, that's not how sanctification works. That's not how our, our spiritual growth works. It's patience over time, and it's investing in the kingdom life in all areas, and that includes our finances. Well, I appreciate you say that, Fitz, because it makes me think, I get to meet so many people in what I do traveling the country, and I've met so many people, they never made a lot of money, but they just, they've been patient, and it's really neat to see uh, how God has blessed them over yeah. their life, so. Yeah. But Darren, one of the things that I love about your book, there's so much I, I love about, for, for starters, 
It's not a thick book, all right? Like if you've not started it yet, you designed this thing to It's be written by a finance guy, not a theologian, that's for sure. So. <laughs> well, and it's filled with wisdom. It's easy to understand. It's not meant to take us a long time to get through, and it's a great jump start on the path. Uh, but you address everything in there. I mean, you know, from savings and investing to debt, I mean, on and on, you address all these big topics. And one of the things you hit is retirement, so give us... Yeah, so I do believe that we need to plan for a time when we might earn less or perhaps even nothing from a job. I think we, that, that, I understand that. However, I think we as Christians and Christ followers, we need to be very careful about worshiping at the idol of retirement as the goal of our stewardship quest, uh, which if you read a lot of American financial literature, I read the Wall Street Journal every day and I watch CNBC each morning when I'm working out, um, most finance in America, that is considered the ultimate reason for wealth is retirement. And I love this quote from John Wesley, who was the uh, founding uh, person of the Methodist church. And he, he said this, he said, earn all you can so you can give all you can and save all you can. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in a little bit too. Yeah. You know, I love that perspective on retirement that you know, we had one of our, our OCC Timothys back this week. He spoke to our seniors at the Senior Adult Luncheon. And uh, he's 20 years my, my senior and uh, another preacher out there, great guy, grew up here, has been in ministry for decades. And one of the things he was challenging our older group to, said, you know, it's okay to retire from a job, but you never get to retire from the kingdom work. Uh, you're in this for the long haul. You don't get to retire from ministry, from mission. And, and I love that perspective that that's what you get at. That man, We have a it, lot of people in Florida where I live, I can tell you, they come down there <laughs> thinking that's what they really want to do and then they quickly realize, you know what, that's not a very fulfilling life if I'm not ever investing in other people. And you know, right. So yeah, that's right. a great point you make. Yeah, the, your, your book, your perspective, your, your life mission is to help people be healthy in, in these areas. And, and I love that because it's just not healthy to, Camp out and just do nothing. God didn't wire us for that. So, you know, in chapter four, you discuss the giving component. And, you know, that can become a sore subject in church. It's like, oh, you just want me to give. But we're never going to find that health. We're never going to find that fulfillment without that piece of it. And, uh, and so talk to us about uh, giving and what that looks like. Yeah, so one of the ways that we demonstrate we are made in the image of God is by being a giver. Because think about it. God is a giver. God gave us creation, God gave us his son, God gives us his, our abilities to do everything that we do. He even gives us every breath that we can have. And so I think we have to recognize that. And so we need to be givers like God. And sadly, I will tell you, I get the numbers leading a financial ministry uh, for the Christian churches across the country. And the, the reality is in our churches, about a quarter to 40 some percent of the people don't give. And it's always, pastors are always amazed by that. But if you've not started giving, one of my things in this book I try to say is that is a great step in your stewardship quest is just to become a giver. In the book, I talk about three different levels of giving. The first is what I call just a giver. And that could be someone that's giving anything. It could be 1%. 
I would consider a giver somebody that's giving anywhere from you know, 1% all the way to, there's a tither, they're giving 10% of everything that God blesses them with. And that's great, if that's you, fantastic. But then scripture challenges us to keep going on the journey and the next step is a generous giver. And when we read this in scripture, it's someone that is a tither, plus they would also give offerings. So a lot of times that meant they would give money to the church and the temple, but they would also give then offerings to help the poor, special needs that would come up. And so that's that generous giver. And then the third level, and this is very rare, but I've got to meet some of these people, and it's what we call radical giver. Jesus tells us about Zacchaeus. And I love this story. We don't talk about it enough, I don't think, in Scripture. Zacchaeus was so impacted by meeting Jesus that he decides after meeting Jesus that this is gonna change my life. I'm gonna give away half of everything he owned, plus he was a tax collector. He was gonna go back and find all the people that he'd cheated, and he was gonna go give them four times what they had been cheated by him. There's no question anybody that saw his life then had saw this guy had been changed by Jesus. So I can tell you what I've got to see. I've got a guy I know, Memphis, Tennessee, owns this crane company, he has signed over his entire business to his giving fund. This, this company generates tens of millions of dollars of profit. He's capped his lifestyle at this very reasonable level. And he gives it all the way to missions and church and ministry. And it's, it's an amazing story. I've met two Harvard business grads that they decided to create at graduation, a finish line that once they made X number of dollars, everything above that, they're gonna give away. And it's just really neat when you see stories like that because it shows Jesus is impacting their life. But in the book, I tell a, a story about a really uh, compelling giving story, I think. And it's uh, Roberta Urshray in Panama City, Florida in 2017. Now, being in Kentucky, I lived here for two years, grew up in Kansas. We don't know a lot about things uh, called riptides, but we have those in Florida. And so what happened was she was enjoying the beach one afternoon when she noticed her boys had gotten, uh, started screaming and they had gotten taken away. And that's what happened. A riptide takes you further out. A lot of people actually pass away in riptides. That's why you have flags and warnings up for them. So as she walked toward the beach, she, she was hearing their screams and, and she realized what had happened. Her instinct as a mom, of course, is to dive in and go after them, but everyone around was warning, don't go in right now. It's, it's too dangerous to go in there, but you know, she's a mom. She can't watch her, her family drown. So she ran, she dove into the water, and predictably, she too got caught up into the riptide, and it looked like that entire family was gonna drown. Well, that's when Jessica Simmons was sitting right there next to her on the beach, and uh, she had kind of realized what was going on. And so she uh, was with her husband. She sprung into action. She started organizing all these strangers to go out, develop this human chain as the family was getting further and further away. And dozens of people joined together to form that chain. And yes, the family was saved. Now, this story is powerful on a lot of levels as we think about it. Because I love about how it shows kind of what we do when we give at church. It shows the life-saving power of people that came from different socioeconomic levels, different races, different strength levels, but everyone just had to do their part, and then God's ultimately going to save these strangers is what we do when we give to the church. Yeah. And I love that because, church, that's what we do. When you give to OCC and you help move mission forward, you know, Tyler, earlier in, in our generosity moment, 
mentioned CY and Patricia Kim with Christ Reaching Asia Mission. And we're seeing people come to Christ over there. Now, some of you know the Kims. You've met them before. They haven't been here for a while. Most of you don't know them. And I'm guessing probably almost none of us know very many of the people who are being reached by the Kims at this point. Yet your giving is changing lives over there. It's saving souls for eternity. And we're watching Christ move all over the globe because of what God is doing right here through us. And that's a beautiful thing. But it's not just reaching people far from us and reaching strangers and doing things like that. There's also the compelling aspect of the mom who really cared about her kids. She was willing to risk to go to them. And uh, you know, you talk a bit about that in your book as well, about helping our kids handle their money. Yeah, so when I take uh, small groups from the book, I've done several small groups, I always ask, ask them this question. I wanna ask every one of you this. What grade would you give your parents on how they taught you how to handle money from God's perspective? Now, hold on. My kids are in this service. Don't answer <laughs> yeah, don't out say, loud. You right? might be near your parents, too. Unless you're going to say A, <laughs> no out loud. So I will tell you, and I've been taught a lot of seminars and small groups, and things. most commonly I hear the answer to that are Ds and Fs. Now, then I would ask all the parents in the room, what grade would you give yourself on how you taught your kids how to handle money from God's perspective. Now, I will say what the encouraging thing I'm hearing is from a lot of the younger parents, they're B's and C's. Now, hopefully, they're not being delusional about that. Uh, <laughs> but I think the good news is there's a lot more resources that like when I was growing up, when you were growing up, that are out there to teach people these perspectives. But I would say you still have to be intentional. And so I'll give you just a few things I've done with my four kids. Um, when my kids uh, turn 12, they have to start paying for a lot of their own things with an allowance that we give them. So they have to pay for their haircuts. They have to pay for their clothes. If we're going out to a dinner and they want a Coke, they have to pay for the Coke. Um, and so it's taught them the value of money. Uh, so that's been helpful. When they turn 13, I buy every one of them their first stock in a brokerage account because I want to teach them the, the importance of investing and I want them to see how that, that stock moves. Hopefully they're not looking at it right now and watching it go down. <laughs> um, Number three, uh, I, I make a really big deal when my kids get their first job and they're going to start their tithe. You know, we have them give, of course, when they're younger, but when they actually have to start giving the money that they earned from a job. So like I just did this with, with uh, my son recently where had the pastor pray for him, got a picture to kind of commemorate the whole thing because I want that to be the beginning of the giving journey for him. But it's really neat because I get to go to my kids' Christian school and teach a finance class every year. And I can tell you there is a hunger from these high school students to want to know how to handle money in a good way. Sometimes because they grew up in parents where it wasn't handled well and others where it was. But they want to make sure they're on a really good journey and it's really encouraging to me. I will tell you, I even used my book. It's short. It's easy to read. I had my four kids aged 11 to 17 read the book, it's not child abuse. And then we actually <laughs> took five nights to go through each chapter. And I will tell you as a dad, it was some of the best spiritual conversations we've ever had. Because when you're talking about money, that's what it becomes. Yeah, man, I love that. I love that. And that legacy is so powerful. Um, you know, you're building that legacy into your family, into your kids. And that's one of the things that you talk about in your book is leaving a legacy, you know, to, finding and deciding who we want to be at the end and, uh, and beyond that. And, you know, years ago, my wife and I were, were blessed. Uh, the church that we were at uh, before coming here uh, 
was a partner church of CFR, and because of that, CFR hosts legacy planning seminars. We participated in one and had a trust uh, created for us. It's a free thing, which is worth thousands of dollars, and especially back then, we were making even less, and man, that was a huge gift to us. Uh, so uh, I know that the beauty of having that, just the, the peace of mind of knowing that all those pieces are taken care of and being able to know that after we're gone, we're still able to bless, we're still able to do some really cool things. Now, because OCC is a partner church, we're hosting one of those seminars here, November 20th, 6.30 p.m., right here, free for you, and, uh, and that's a great thing. My wife and I will actually be there because... Well, we're in a different state. Our kids are in a little bit different season and we're at a different church now and we want to leave the blessing um, to you. <laughs> Although Eddie here. would probably love it if you left money yeah, down the West yeah. Side. <laughs> My buddy Eddie from West Side is probably, you know. But like, no, that's, no. That's, that's exactly right. That's a great thing that we do um, for our partner churches uh, because what I realized as I traveled the country, I found all these people that just had never got around to doing that legacy plan. And so, you know, I love history, and one of my favorite history times to read about is the Gilded Age. Um, one of the stories that did not make the book, uh, that I couldn't work in there, probably in the next one, but is the story of the Vanderbilts. How many of you have ever been to the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina or the Breakers in Newport, Rhode Island? Either one of those two. A lot of you. Okay, cool. Amazing place. If you've never been there, you need to go there, uh, experience them. Um, so Cornelius Vanderbilt. It's a nice was, little cabin. Yeah, not, a nice little cabin if you're there, which I hear at Christmas. It's really beautiful. I've never been there at Christmas. But uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt was a railroad tycoon that died in 1877 with a net worth to his heirs that would have been worth in today's dollars over $300 billion. Now, what's crazy is Within 50 years, basically that family net worth was almost gone. And it wasn't because he gave it away. Um, for me, that is staggering to imagine. And there's a great uh, quote in a newspaper written at that time. It said, the Vanderbilt case is an impressive lesson in the folly of attempting to found a family upon no better basis than the possession of money. What I find, many people, they don't have a legacy plan. Some need to update their legacy plan, and others need to completely reconsider the legacy plan that they have right now. So that's why I'd say take advantage of that, because um, we invested as a ministry a lot of money to be able to make that happen for people in our partner churches. I mentioned earlier uh, the Methodist founder, John Wesley. Now, John Wesley, he also actually made a good living uh, during his life, although nothing like Cornelius Vanderbilt. But it's been said that when John Wesley was carried to his grave, he left behind a good library of books, a well-worn preacher outfit, and 135,000 members and 541 preachers of the Methodist Church. It's quite a legacy. Now, generations later, some of those future members that started their spiritual journey in that group of churches included my mom's side of the family that ultimately got us to a Christian church in Kansas. And now... The legacy is I get to lead a financial ministry that on a typical weekend from the projects that we funded, over 400,000 people attend those churches. So I think John Wesley had a pretty good legacy and I'm just only one little piece of that legacy. Pretty cool to think about. That's awesome. And that's awesome. Well, you know, you think of legacy and, and we have those as individuals, but also as a ministry. CFR, the ministry that you now are privileged to lead, uh, has been 
just impacting families for decades now, four decades. Uh, you weren't leading it when, when they started back in 1980. You, no, I was eight young. years old, so no, I was not the founder. Yeah, yeah, and I was just a couple years behind you, but you, you've been with them for years and leading them for years and, and uh, impacting so many families and individuals. Tell us how we can join in the mission with you. Yeah, so obviously, hopefully all of you know, our ministry is the ministry that years ago we refinanced your bank loan to lower the rate as we're a nonprofit to free up those dollars so that uh, this church could use it for ministry and missions rather than paying some bank interest. That's what we get passionate yeah, about doing. Yeah, that's such an important thing yeah. for you to know because when the church originally got its loan, it was through a bank. And when you talk to a bank about, hey, how are you going to fund this thing? And, and your response is, God will provide. Most banks don't get excited about that answer, right? Like, yeah. go try and get a loan and just like, well, how's this going to, well, God's going to provide. That's how Yeah, you guys paid. were lucky you could, because some churches, they just can't. And so yeah. what's cool for us is we only do loans to ministries. And so in 42 years, we've never had a foreclosure on a, a ministry. We know what we're doing. We know how to help churches raise money through our legacy plans, through our campaigns, yeah. and lots of other things. But what we try to do at CFR, though, is obviously I don't have a magic money tree in Orlando to, to make that happen. We try to encourage families and businesses. We try to be their guides to help them earn a little bit more maybe on your savings, but also have the satisfaction to know that your dollars are being used to loan out to churches like uh, OCC. And I gotta say thank you because we already have several families that over the years have partnered with us and we can't do what we do. I can't be here and doing all these things without you. So if you're one of those that's moved over some savings to CFR, thank you. Uh, please come say hello after service because uh, I always love meeting our partners. If you're not, I would love to have you join with us in some way. There are four ways you can do that. First is for everyone. We teach at our ministry, it is wise for every family and every business to have that six-month emergency fund. So you can open up a ready access savings at CFR. You can link it to whoever your local bank checking account is. You get to earn 2.5%. You get to know you're funding all these hundreds of churches. And uh, so we think that's a really great way to do that. The second is just for some people. We find some people, they've got more than that level of savings. Maybe they even have an old retirement account from a job they left and it's not earning much. So they want to get a higher rate. So they park it in one of our certificates. They'll earn, right now it's 3.1 to 3.7%. But they get to know their funding ministry and changing lives. They kind of get to exit the roller coaster of the stock market. The third way is just for a few people. For some of you, this is the whole thing you need to hear about today. It's going to help save you some money. It's for families that give away more than $10,000 a year to ministries. You can open up what's called a giving fund. It's a donor advised fund. The way to think about it in your mind is it's like a charity checking account. You would do all your giving to OCC plus any other ministries and charities that you support. There are some massive tax advantages by doing giving through a donor advised fund, through a giving fund. And so one of the things that I always try to teach people when I'm out in churches is this idea of friends don't let friends give cash unless that's all they have. A lot of families in our church that are high capacity families make the mistake of doing their giving out of their checking account because that's all they've ever been taught. The reality is they should be giving appreciated assets like stock or crypto or things like that into a giving fund and then use it from there to give more money away. And then the final way is just for a few people, it's for retirees. Uh, you can open up what's called a charitable gift annuity, get a fixed rate, five, 9%. You get it for as long as you live. You leave a legacy then to ministry when you pass away. But um, after service, please come see Shane or I at the table. We'd love to give you a packet. We'd love to have more of you be involved. You can text CFR to the number on the screen too, and Shane will follow up with you next week. Yeah. Well, Darren, I appreciate your wisdom. I mean, there's so much here, right? 
And God's word speaks to every piece of this. And that's what's beautiful. Like you mentioned earlier, God's word, thousands of years old, and still as relevant today as it's ever been. Um, and so we use that as our yellow brick road. We use that as our guide. And, and I thank you for this. Uh, the gift to us is, is putting that down on paper and sharing that wisdom with us in an easy-to-access way. Uh, so as, as people read this, as we wrap up today, just curious for you what you want them to walk away with after reading your book. Yeah, so we all have to have our life mission. You know, I, when I graduated Bible college in Kansas, I preached for three years, uh, a little rural church, and I realized I'll let the preach and go to the, the fences of the world. I felt like finance and ministry was where God was really calling me, which is why I came out here to Louisville. But I, I, have, a, I have a life mission verse, and uh, for me, it's 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. I think it's why God put me here on this earth. Um, I've been doing this for now for over 25 years. It says, teach those who are rich in this world, which is everybody in this room probably because you live in America, you're probably in that category, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So I've got to sign a lot of books, traveling the country, doing this each weekend. And uh, every time I do that, I write a little acrostic in there, uh, me for G. And what it stands for is it's manage everything for God. I would love, you ask what I want to see, I want to see every person being strategic with whatever God has entrusted to them, whether that be a little or a lot, to make an eternal difference. At a minimum, I hope that everybody that reads the book is going to take at least one step, step on their stewardship quest. If you do, please send me an email. My email is at the end of the book. I can tell you as an author, sometimes you spend your time toiling over the words, you wonder, is that even going to matter? It's been so fulfilling for me to get those written in emails of people saying, man, now I've started my giving journey. Now I'm doing my legacy plan. Now I'm getting out of debt. And to know I had a small part to play in that, it's, it's really cool. But what I ultimately want to see is the same thing for every one of us. We're going to stand before the creator of all things one day, and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about, man. Dan, would you pray for us? Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, for the difference that it's making in this community, and even as we saw in this service, across the globe through the missions that they support. Uh, Heavenly Father, I praise you that you are the creator of all things. And Lord, I think we need to confess that there are times we forget that fact, we begin to worship created things instead. Lord, we just want to say thank you for whatever we have right now, whether we think it's a little or a lot, but to just thank you for whatever it is you have entrusted to us. Lord, I would just ask that you help us to always be looking for the ways that we can use whatever you've entrusted to us, our time, our talent, our treasure, to be a part of the most important task in the entire universe, and that's sharing the love of your son with people that do not know him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.